Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. Man, what a great day to be in church together. So excited to be here. What an awesome time in worship, just being in the presence of God. Now, I, uh, I was kind of talking to people out in the foyer, both services, but both times, first service and second service, walking into the theater here, it's like walking into a wall of jello, just like the presence of God, feeling the Holy Spirit at work and moving. And uh, how many of you know it's so important that we come together because you can't, you don't just get this on YouTube, watching church on YouTube. You don't just get this, you know, in chat rooms and all that. Like you got to be here in the atmosphere. And uh, God does some things in the atmosphere uh, when we come together in worship that are, that can save you years of time and lots of heartache. I'm just telling you, we, we all, you know, there's lots of psychotherapists and uh, pills and uh, blogs you can read and people you can go see and to help you with your problems, but there's stuff that only the Holy Spirit can do. A lot of times we're trying to dig down deep in our life and we've, we're kind of armed with a little spade or shovel and the Holy Spirit has a big excavator. And so when we come into the presence of God in these at, the atmosphere of worship where God is on the move, where he's moving, there's things he'll get down deep into your heart and begin to uh, bring out the things that need to be out of there, put the things that need to be in there, in there. And uh, I'm just telling you, um, I probably should have a sticker on my forehead that says, uh, developed by the Holy Spirit, because you know everything, everything good in my life has come from those times in the presence of God. I remember as a young man, I would lay down, I sound like an old guy when I say young man, when I was a kid, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I remember I would lay down in front of my, my dad had this old speaker system, old stereo system. It had like all the amplifier and the tape deck and all that and big speakers made of wood, right? You could actually put a house on top of these speakers. They were so strong and heavy. And uh, how many of you remember what I'm talking about? You know, not like this little tiny Bluetooth things that are going on now. I'm talking about like real stereo system, hi-fi. And uh, I would lay in front of that speaker and I would listen to old delirious albums uh, and just soak in the presence of God, listen to Keith Green and uh, cry before the Lord, like actually, uh, you know, just want God inside of me and inside of my life and, and a part of me. Come on, uh, in such a deep way. And, and it really, those moments shaped me and God did so much in me in those times in the presence of God. So, you know, this time of worship, what we do, we come together uh, and we sing songs. It's not just like the preamble to the, to the message. It's not just like something we do because we all just like singing. That's not what it is. We, we believe in the reality of that God responds to our praise. He responds to our worship. You know, when Bethany and I were getting ready in prayer to start Joy Church, we, we prayed and we were on the drive to Junction City one day. We said, what kind of church do we want to see? What kind of church do we want to be a part of? What kind of church do we want to lead? And we said, there's three things. Number one, we want to be directed and sustained by the presence of God. Amen. We never were, wanted to be a church that was based on strategy, tactics. This is how you do things, clever sermon series, all that. We have all that strategy and tactics. We do, we have smart leaders here. There's people that know what they're doing. But at the end of it all, we're pursuing the heart of God. We want to be led, sustained, directed by the presence of God. Because without God's presence, we don't have anything. Come on. What differentiates the church from some other organization that's meeting on Sunday morning somewhere else? It's the presence of God, that God is here, that God is in this thing. Moses said, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, we will not go. And that's our heartbeat here, guys. We want to be directed and sustained by the presence of God. Man, I want you to fall in love with worship. I want you to fall in love with the presence of God, to, to say, God, I want to be full of your spirit. I want to, I want to connect with that, that supernatural, supernatural, mystical sense of the otherness of who you are, God. And like these moments are so great. I just believe today, if you're here and you're in this atmosphere where God is moving and he's, he's working, there could be depression and anxiety and worry that God is going to break off of your life right now in this moment. 
Come on, you might be here working through a struggle in your marriage, working through a struggle with your family, and the Holy Spirit is here to come and back your play and help you and put, put some lift in, under your wings and help you fly where God wants you to fly and go where he wants you to go. Come on, do you receive that today? You know, and you go, Pastor Jake, like, I just showed up here. I thought I was going to see a movie, and now I'm stuck in a weird religious gathering. Hey, you're cool. We'll be out of here in 30 minutes. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> you go get lunch right after. Maybe you're just checking out this God thing, but listen, there's a God that loves you so much, and he brought you here by his spirit. He wants you to feel his presence, not just hear a message, not just watch a religious thing, but actually connect with him in a real and tangible way. So anyways, you know, those three things we said, we said we want to be directed into the of the presence of God. We want to be, number two, a place of authentic community, real people coming together in family, not just fake, not just people that see each other on Sundays and then go do our own thing, but a real community, a real family. And Joy Church is that, right? And, and the more people that get involved with Joy Groups, the more that vision comes to pass. And then number three, which is what we're going to talk about today, we said we want to be a church of empowering discipleship. We want to be a church that raises people up to do what God's called them to do, to be who God's called them to be. Let me just tell you right now, this is not a church for spectators. If your interest in looking for a church is to come and find a comfy seat, you found that part, but let me, let me uh, <laughs> break your world apart real quick. If your interest was to find a church with a comfy seat so you could come and just eat spiritual food, so you could come and just listen to sermons and you could come and just feel good in, in the time of worship, like this is not the church for you. I want to invite you to go find your perfect church somewhere else. You don't want me to be here? No, I do. But let me just tell you, we're not looking for spectators. What the church is, the real church, what it really means to follow Jesus is to be a participant. There is no such thing as a follower of Jesus who is inactive and stagnated and not a participant in what God wants to do. Come on. So if you're here at Joy Church, look, we put it on banners. We say it. You were made on purpose and for a purpose, right? We're here to love God, love people, and make disciples. We've got a mission. We're not just here to spectate. We're here to participate. We're not just here to feel good and listen to sermons and take in spiritual teaching and training. That's just religion. We're here to take what God's doing in us, but let it flow out into the world around us. Are you with me? Look, we say this, take the next step with Jesus. Why? Because we believe everybody is on a journey. Whether you are on the very first step today of your spiritual journey or whether you've been on this journey with God for 30, 40, 50 years, as many of you are, you never retire as a Christian. There's never a moment where you mail it in. You go, now I've done my part. I've done my bit. And it's someone else's chance or someone else's turn. No, we, we never pass the baton. We create new batons and new lanes. Come on. I'm going to be 80, 90 years old, crotchety as all get up. Totally crotchety. I'm crotchety now. I'm in my 30s. Wait till I'm 80. You better watch out. The level of crotchiness is going to be really high. <laughs> I'm going to have a cane so I can whack kids with it. Not because they're being bad. I just, they won't be able to do anything. I'm so old. You know what I mean? Just, but I'll be going, come on, serve God. Keep serving Jesus. Keep making disciples. And then some other kid, you know, Jack and Liam and the, the Thaddeus and Thatcher and all these kids are going to be bossing everybody around and the music's going to be like techno. I don't know what it's going to be like. And I'll be like, it's too loud. And you know, all this kind of stuff. But we're going to continue to serve Jesus. There's never a time when you retire. There's never a moment when you sail off into the sunset as a follower of Jesus, because until he comes back, we still have a mission to do. Are you with me? So today we're talking about the call, the call to make disciples as we've been in this series exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've gone through the four C's that to follow Jesus, it means that you follow Christ, that you do it in community, that you allow God to change you and then the fourth one is this, that you respond to the call of Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not responding to the call of Christ. 
There is no such thing as a disciple who does not also make disciples, who does not follow Jesus. Jesus can't be your Lord if when he gives you a command, you don't obey it. That's not how it works. Are you with me? It's like with my children, you know, they, they sometimes are like, well, why do we have to listen to you? Why do you get to make the rules? Because I pay the bills. Why do you get to make the rules? Because I'm your dad. I'm your father. Luke, I am your father. You know, <laughs> I, I'm like, you can do anything you want anywhere else. My dad would do this with the globe. You know, anywhere else in the globe, you can do what you want. But when you live in this house in Medford, right here, see that right there on Barnberg, this is where I'm king, right? This is where I'm Lord. When you're serving Jesus, he's, he's the boss. Come on. We talked about this last week. He's the leader. And he tells us, if you're going to follow me, you're going to make disciples. We go into Matthew 4.19, where we get this definition of discipleship, and we find these four C's we've been going through. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is taking these fishermen. These are guys that catch fish for a living. He says, I want you to take what you understand about life and what life is about, and I want you to translate that now into kingdom purpose. You were catching fish, now you're going to catch people. If you're a software engineer, Jesus is calling you today to engineer uh, people into the kingdom of God. If you're a, a carpenter or a contractor, he's calling you to build the kingdom. Like he's going to come and connect with you where you are, but he's going to lead you into something brand new. Come on. He's going to lead you into higher purpose. Listen, as a Christian, you can be depressed. You can get discouraged. You can get bummed out. You can get sick. You can have bad days, but you never get bored. Because every day there's a, there's a mission to be accomplished. Every day when I get in my quiet time, when I'm with the Lord and I'm, I'm you know, reading the Bible and getting refreshed and refilled and and, you know, trying to, trying to not be bitter at the Lakers for getting all the good players and the Blazers never get anybody. I mean, the problems that we face, right? The things that really get into our spirit. Like when the Huskies get a player that we wanted for the Ducks, I mean, I just get bitter about it, you know, and I have to really bring it to the Lord. I wish this wasn't true. But, but in those moments, whatever I'm walking through in life, and even the really serious stuff, Never, never do I say, oh, there's nothing to be done. Like, I'm just, there's no more purpose. No, there's always something, another step. God has calling for us. We're called to make disciples. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells, uh, tells us, says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Uh, Jesus gave us a great commission to go and make disciples. Now let's talk about this, what this is. You see, making disciples very simply is this. Making disciples simply is helping other people follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus, even imperfectly, even in a flawed way, even in a broken way, as you follow Jesus, you just help somebody else take their next step with Jesus too. We have a little slogan that we say here. It's this, take the journey and take someone with you. How many of you are following Jesus right now? How many of you are like, you nailed it. You have it all figured out. Every day is perfect. No? Okay, me, me neither. Like, I don't have it all figured out, you know? I, I, I'm not a perfect follower of Jesus, but I'm still called to help somebody else take their next step. See, where, whenever you are just one step ahead, you can help somebody take their next step. And I want to get this into your heart today. I want you to get a hold of this concept. If you're one step ahead, you can help someone else. As long as you're one chapter ahead in the Bible, as long as you're one joy group ahead, as long as you're one Sunday service, if you know where the donuts are at Joy Church, you can help somebody. Come on. You can help somebody follow Jesus. And a lot of times we, we disqualify ourselves, don't we? We believe these lies. Well, I'm not good enough to help somebody else follow Jesus. Nobody's good enough to help someone else follow Jesus. But aren't you glad somebody was willing to get past their insecurity and help you? Aren't you glad somebody was willing to get past that idea that they were disqualified or unqualified and actually help you follow Jesus? Come on. 
I'm not qualified to be the pastor of this church, but aren't you glad that I responded to the call of the Lord and we started Joy Church? Aren't you glad Bethany's helping pastor too? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you are. You don't know it, but you are. Uh, you know, I'm not qualified, but I'm called. You might not be qualified, but you're called. You might not be, you might not have it all together, but you can help somebody take their next step with Jesus. Take the journey and take someone with you. Listen, I want you to understand that Christianity, this, this faith that we hold so dear, is literally always only one generation away from disappearing from the face of the earth. And it depends on each successive generation loving the next generation, loving the next group of people that they're interacting with to pay the price, right? To serve. Aren't you glad somebody opened up their home and made a place for you to hear the gospel? Aren't you glad somebody opened up a church? Aren't you glad people are watching our kids right now so we can hear the message of Jesus today? Aren't you glad that somebody prayed for you? Aren't you glad? And I want you to think about this, not just the person that was directly responsible for you being here today, but the people 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, who continue to serve Jesus in each generation. And that's why we're here today. And so the question is, are we going to respond when it's our chance on the dance floor? Come on. When the light shines on us as a generation, are we going to stand up and say, we're going to also serve other people and respond to the call of Christ? And, and it's this simple. It literally is this simple. It's this easy to understand. Making disciples that can sound really religious, really difficult. What does it mean? It means helping people follow Jesus, whatever that means for them. The beautiful thing about following Jesus is as far into it as you are or at the, how little you've done, there's always another step. And so helping people follow Jesus just looks different in different situations. Maybe to help someone follow Jesus is just to invite them to church. Maybe to help someone follow Jesus is just to help them understand that not every Christian is a jerk Pharisee. You with me? Maybe to help somebody take the next step, it's to begin to share with them the word and help them grow in their faith. Whatever their next step is, you're just helping them take it. And as long as you're one step ahead, you can help somebody who's one step behind take that step. That's what discipleship is. And guys, I want you to understand we do it all the time in a lot of different ways. If you have children, you're discipling your children in how to be an adult. You're discipling your kids in how to do X, Y, Z. Wherever they're at, one step behind. My kids are really literally only one step behind. They're way smarter than me. Most of them are more mature than me. And I just one step ahead and I'm trying to keep them, keep them moving. That's not true at all. No, the maturity level, they're more mature than me. Um, one step ahead and you're, you're showing them this is how you live. You know, we talk to our kids. This is what you do in this situation. When people are mean to you at the park, you don't punch them right back in the face you do X, Y, Z. Now with Jack, we do have to actually help encourage him not to punch, but to stand up for himself. Some little girl kicked him off of one of the toys at the playground and Bethany was like, Jack, you have to learn to stand up for yourself, you know? Go tell that girl, you know? So he went over there and then was like, you know, <laughs> slunk off. He's so tenderhearted. But anyways, you're always discipling because you're showing someone how to operate, how to live. That's what we do as Christians. That's what discipleship is. You guys with me? There's always a step to take. But as we respond to the call of Christ to make disciples, there's something that has to happen inside of our heart because answering this call, saying, Lord, I'm gonna respond to what you're calling me to do to be a disciple maker, not just a spectator, but a participant in what you wanna do in the world, we have to develop a caring heart. It starts with caring about the call because it's, I, you can hear me preach a message and say, hey, Jesus told us to go make disciples and we can all go, yeah, 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 I've heard it before. Go make disciples, rah, rah, rah kick them in the knee, rah, 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 
kick him in the other knee. Like we can get really excited. That's your dad's uh, song, Kayla. <laughs> I thought it was great. I, some of you are too religious. Anyways, we can hear a message about discipleship and we can let it go in one ear and out the other. But when something happens and there's a heart change, it goes from up here to here. And that's what leads into action. And so we have to develop a caring heart. We have to care about this in a real way. And the way we do that is by personalizing the problem. You see, the reality is many, many people are separated from God. Many people are walking around in quiet desperation. They might look like they have it all together, perfect job, perfect wife, perfect smile, perfect car, whatever. But, but the reality is if a person does not have Christ, they don't have, they're not, it's not together, it's not complete, it's not right. If a person doesn't have Christ, they don't have eternal life. They don't have hope that goes beyond uh, despair. They don't have what they really need. So whatever the illusion is or the temporary moment of satisfaction or fulfillment that they're walking in, the reality is even people that look like they have it all together, for, by and large, are walking around in quiet desperation, not able, to, not, under, not able to fill that hole that's on the inside. And so when we know this, it's not just enough to know it. We actually have to care about it. There has to be compassion that motivates us and compels us into action. What causes you to do something uncomfortable and actually begin to talk to somebody about their heart, about their spirituality, about their life, invite them to church, invite them to take their next step? What causes you to get out of your comfort zone and out of your comfort zone into action as a follower of Jesus who's responding to the call? I'll tell you what motivates you. It's when you personalize the problem. It's when you, when you go from that they're out there or over there to it's right here. And I'll give you an example of this. You know, if you read in the news, a story about, you know, back in Massachusetts, some, some little girl or some little boy went missing. You're like, oh, that's really sad. That's horrible. Hey, what are we having for lunch today? And, and don't act like you don't do this, right? I don't do that. Yes, you do. We all do because we hear horrible things all day long from the news, right? 200 people died in an earthquake here. 300 people died of a tidal wave, an airplane crash. People were shot over here in this part of the country. This person was abducted. This government was overthrown and now the people are all fleeing from this. There's refugees, like the whole world. We get all of the pain and the crisis in the news. And yet to function, we kind of have a little buffer zone, don't we? We sort of take it in. But if it's not our problem, personally, we're actually able to kind of live and walk on with our life. Is this true? But not when it's your family, not when it's your kid, not when it's your problem. And so compassion comes from connection. You know, a, a story to illustrate this, my daughter Evie, uh, one Sunday afternoon went missing. And it literally changed the game for me. I did, I was insane in that moment. I'll tell you what happened. We, we left church, went home. Bethany had a lunch appointment. And so uh, Evie was playing with a neighbor friend and the neighbor's, uh, neighbor kid's grandma was watching them in the yard. So I tagged in with the grandma and said, hey, are you good to watch uh, Evie? I'm gonna go back inside and the other kids are taking a nap. I'm gonna take a 15 minute nap. So I take my nap. Kids are sleeping in the house. I look out the window. Grandma's there. Friend's there. Evie's there. Everything's good. So I went into that deep, you know, I went and prayed and worked out. That's what I do all the time anyways. I know you guys can tell spiritual and physical, just totally elite. But um, no, I probably was watching ESPN or something or playing Angry Birds. I don't know. I actually play Angry Birds while I'm preaching. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> really good. No, these are notes. But anyways, um, I, I went and sat down in my chair. About 15 minutes later, I look out the window. They're gone. No Evie, no friend, no grandma. So I'm like, ah, no big deal. Evie was asking if she'd go to the grandma's house. We said no, but she probably disobeyed. You know, she's six or seven or whatever at the time. I'm like, oh, I'll look around the house. So I look around the house. I don't find her. I'm starting to get nervous. You know how your panic meter sort of starts slow and then it goes really fast. 
It goes red line, and uh, I'm like, she's gone. She's not here. So I get a hold of Bethany. What's the grandma's number? I call the grandma, and I hear these words, and it just pierced my heart. No, she's not with me. She's not home. Where is she? And in that moment, I'm like, my whole world is upside down. Can I tell you what? I didn't care about you guys. I didn't care about the stock market. I didn't care about the ducks. I didn't care about anything except for my daughter is missing. The dearest treasure of my life is not in my possession, not in my sight, not with me. And I'll tell you right there, when you understand that something that you care more than anything else about is gone, you're motivated. You want to talk about motivation because it's not someone else's kid, it's my kid. So I go into absolute insane, crazy dad mode. I can't leave my other children in the house. Okay, I have two other kids in the house. So I I run out into the street and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Our neighbors already thought we were crazy. Now they really do. I'm screaming her name. You know, I call the grandma. She's coming to help look. Uh, My sister-in-law is coming over to help look. Bethany's on her way back. I get on the phone with the sheriff. I'm talking to the sheriff and I'm like, you don't need to know my zip code. Get out of my house. Like, get out of here, right? Because this is my problem now. You know what I mean? Like it's urgent. It's an emergency. I look down the street and my neighbor's standing there and he's kind of like nonplussed, bewildered, befuddled, you know? And he kind of like goes like this. And I'm like, is Evie down there? And he goes, oh. You know, he's like, it's a couple blocks down the street. I run down there and there she is in the backyard playing with her friends. She told her friends, her neighbor, our neighbor, she told them, my dad said I could come play with you. Not correct. And so they're like, what is going on? Because I was like in high dudgeon. You know what I mean? Like red face, like angry. I think I grew like hair on my back in that moment. Like I turned into a beast. I was because like, I'm looking for my daughter. I'm telling you, like when you hear about moms, like a car falls over and they're able to lift it. Like I get that because there's something about when it's your problem, when it's your kid, when it's your crisis. And listen, When it's your kid, it's different, right? When it's your somebody. But I want you you to understand, we all need to know that everybody is somebody's somebody. Every person you see on the street, every person that makes you mad on the belt line, every person that is rude to you in the grocery store is somebody's somebody. It's somebody's daughter or their son. It's somebody's father or mother. It's somebody's uncle or aunt or nephew or niece. It's somebody's somebody and everybody is somebody to God. You see, for God, every broken hearted person It's not someone else's problem, it's his child. For God, every disconnected person, every lost person, every person that doesn't have hope and life in Jesus is not someone else's problem. It's not a something out there problem. It's a a personal problem for God. And so when you begin to connect with the heart of God, when you begin to, to get connected and God begins to work in your life, that becomes your personal problem too. It's not someone else's somebody, it's your somebody. And I want you to think about this. If your children or, your, or somebody that was dear to you, a loved one was across the country and was in a crisis moment, wouldn't you want someone to treat your son or your daughter like they, were your, like they were their own? If I came across one of your loved ones in a crisis moment, wouldn't you want me to treat them like I treated my daughter in that moment? Wouldn't you want me to be screaming at the top of my lungs, growing hair out my back? That's just an excuse. I do that for fun anyways, but wouldn't you want that kind of total commitment and you know, when we talk about the call of God, we have to understand that God, it's not, it's not someone else's kid, it's his kid. It's not someone else's problem, it's his problem. When we get connected with him, these are our brothers and sisters. See, our call is not to just be sort of like 
withdrawn and apart and away, and it's someone else's thing, and I'll just kind of do what I can when the mood hits me, when the spirit leads. No, everybody is somebody, somebody's somebody, everybody is somebody to God. So responding to the call means caring about what God cares about, and God cares about his kids. You know, we sing the song, uh, Reckless Love, right? I love it because my kids love that song. My son, Jack, he's sing, he sings it in the house in his little cute five-year-old voice, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's honestly really beautiful because he's singing about the heart of God, that he leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Come on, how many of you ones are pretty happy that Jesus is willing to step out from the 99 and go pursue? Pursue you, come on, aren't you glad? And let me just tell you, Christians, you know, followers of Jesus, when you begin to love Jesus, you begin to love what Jesus loves and Jesus loves people. That's why we have on our thing, love God, love people. These aren't just nice things to say. See, if you love God, you're gonna love people. If you love God and you don't love people, you don't love God. Let me say that again. If you think you love God, but you don't love people, you don't love God. And, and I can back that up biblically. I'm not going to today. Take my word for it. Love God, love people. How do we love people? We help them find Jesus. We help them take their next step with Jesus. We help them grow and become the person that they are meant to be. Discipleship isn't something that happens when somebody becomes a Christian. Discipleship is what happens all the time, everywhere, discipleship starts even in the moment when a person's not a Christian. It's helping them take their next step with Jesus, whatever that may be. If you love God, you're going to love people. You're going to make disciples. Responding to the call is, 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 is having the heart of God to go after people, to leave the 99, to pursue the one, make it a personal problem. That is how we care. That's how you develop a caring heart for other people. That's how you get a heart to be called to, to go and pursue people, to get a little bit uncomfortable from time to time and step out and actually invite someone to church, to start a joy group, to open your home, even if you're unqualified, even if you're uncalled. You see, the thing is, I'm not, I'm not a police officer. I don't, I don't have weapons. I'm not trained. You know, I, I don't know how to fight or whatever, but if I saw somebody and there was somebody that had my daughter, I tell you what, I would turn into a track star as I ran and chased them down. I would turn into Chuck Norris once I got there. You want to see a roundhouse kick? I will roundhouse punch you. I don't even know what that means. I would... <laughs> I would use anything. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? I would turn into a linebacker to tackle that person. Like I would be what I needed to be when I got there if somebody had my daughter. I would rip a door down. I would kick it down. I would rip a car door off. Like whatever it took. That's what responding to the call of Christ looks like. It says, I don't care that I'm inadequate. I don't care that, yeah, I've got my own problems. Yeah, I'm insecure. Yeah, I have emotional issues. Yeah, my husband left me and ran off with the secretary. Yeah, this happened, but you know what? That's my problem. That's my person. Come on, I'm called to go. God puts his treasure in earthen vessels. If you're unqualified, if, you're, if you've had a past, if you have a present, if you have whatever, you're still called of God as a follower of Jesus. Come on. Oh, pastor, he's just, he's going on vacation this week. He's a little excited. Let's <laughs> love our pastor. He's so sweet. It's like candy. The gospel came to you. Aren't you glad that God got his gospel to you? Aren't you glad that your grandma prayed for you? Aren't you glad that a father or a mother took you to church when you were young, even if you left because it sucked and then you found a cool church? I mean, whatever happened. Aren't you glad though that God didn't, that he got his gospel to you. Like if you follow Jesus, let me tell you right now, like the very best day without Jesus is, is nothing compared to the worst day with Jesus. Because no matter what, I have hope that goes beyond. Peace that passes understanding. Like I belong to Jesus. Like 
that is better than anything else in this entire world. The gospel came to me. The gospel came to you. Can the gospel come through you? Can the gospel get through you to the world around you? You've received God's very best. And the question is, are you going to share? Are you going to share? Okay, what do we do with this message? I want to give you three things today as we, as we go. Number one, we need to open our eyes to people's need for Jesus. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. You see, there's a difference between seeing and seeing. You with me? You can see, but not see. You ever had a paradigm shift where all of a sudden you saw something, but now you really see it? Like it changes, it shifts for you. We might think like intellectually, yeah, people need Jesus. But when you really see it, when you really have your eyes opened, you realize that the vast majority of people are walking around in quiet desperation and ask this question, what's it like to be without hope? What is it like to be without God's love in your life? What is it like to be without eternal life? What is that like? And when you begin to have your eyes opened, you're going to realize people actually need Jesus. Even the people that are at that moment completely against Jesus. Now, I'm not saying go be like a religious Bible thumper and be like, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And they're like, no, get out of my face. You're annoying me right now. I'm saying, though, you got to feel it. You got to hear the cry in the spiritual realm of people's brokenness and their lostness. You got to hear that sound. Come on. Every great evangelist throughout history, they were op- their eyes were open, their ears were open, eyes to see, ears to hear. They heard the cry of people that were moving towards a Christless eternity. They could hear it. They could feel it. It motivated them. We need to have our eyes open for people's need for Jesus. And what that will do is it will motivate you in a deep way. You will go where you've never gone before. It's like Star Trek up in here. Like you will go where no man has gone before. You will be motivated. Thanks, Maddie. I appreciate that. She laughed. One person in the whole church are my favorite. You will do what you've never done before. You will go where you've never gone before when you, op- when you have your eyes open to see people's need. My brother Johnny is like a super loving, crazy guy. Like he just loves to go on mission trips. He, he loves to talk to people about Jesus. Like he's, he's, he's oversaved, I'm going to be honest. And uh, if, if he came and preached here at Joy Eugene, you guys would be like, wow, we got the worst schmelzer sibling. You already heard Natalie, so you know it's true, but... <laughs> But Johnny, uh, he took his junior high group out one time a couple years ago. They went to a, a trailer park in Medford, and uh, they went to the worst one in town. It was like under a bridge, lots of drugs and everything. And Johnny was there, and they, it just, he loves people, right? He just loves people. He's there with his junior high kids, which is not wisdom, but it is love. <laughs> and uh, they go, you know, they're passing out flyers. They get to the very back of the trailer park, and there's this really kind of gross-looking place. And uh, Johnny sends, you know, he's, he's not talking to somebody at a porch and the, the junior hires are going up to this last house. The person comes out of their house, a ne- another neighbor, and yells, don't go there. And they're like, what? And they're like, they're cooking meth right now. Cooking meth, you know? So Johnny's like, just put a flyer in the door, you know? <laughs> so, just so you know, if you have youth in our youth ministry here, we don't do that. <laughs> You're like, I'm never sending my kids to youth group. No, that, that's why I do things in Medford, not here in Eugene. We're, we're more enlightened, right? We love people less here, so don't worry. We care more about insurance than the lost. So anyways, um, we, uh, Johnny, you know, they put a flyer in and they ran away. But I was thinking about that story. It was just like, what are you doing there? Johnny, you know, he comes from, my family's like a middle you know, what are they, middle income, middle, middle class, there you go, middle class, normal family, mom and a dad, like, good family, like, what's this young guy at 16, 17 years old with a bunch of junior hires, why is he at a trailer park, like, why is he going up to a meth house, why, because his eyes are open, 
See, if your eyes are open, you're going to go where, where, where you wouldn't go. And you go, well, I don't want to go there. Well, no, don't until your eyes are open. But somebody needs to go because somebody came for you. I mean, you think about that. Again, the person in that house needs to know that God knows their name, that he cares about them. You with me? Open your eyes to people's need for Jesus. Number two, love your neighbor. And this isn't just cutesy religious slogan, hey, you know, love your neighbor, yeah, love your neighbor. No, like we need to get a hold of the fact that our job is to love our neighbor. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It's God's job to love the world, but it's our job to make that love tangible for the people around us. It's our job to get Jesus communicated and connected with people around us. When God wants to do something, he does it through people. And I don't have time to go into all the theology behind this, but it's called incarnation. When he wanted to save mankind, he puts himself into a man and he comes down. When, when Jesus turns water into wine, why doesn't he just click his fingers and, and wine comes out of the sky? Why does he have servants go get water? Because he incarnates. His power comes in natural things. Why does Jesus, when he multiplies the loaves and the fishes, ask for some kid's lunch and they bring it to him and then he multiplies it? Why doesn't he just click his fingers and make garlic bread fall out of the sky? Pumpernickel, you know what I mean? Just like start clicking and it starts falling. Like, because it's, he's not Gandalf, like he, it's different, okay? You with me? That was awesome, okay. I don't even know where that came from, but he incarnates. God moves through natural things. So when God wants to touch a neighborhood, when he wants to touch a city, guess what he asks for? He asks for people to stand up and say, I will go. Come on, I, I will go. I will go. Who's going to go for me? Who's going to speak my word? Who's going to love people? Who's going to adopt children that don't have moms and dads? Who's going to go to the drug house? Who's going to talk to the person who can't get it straight? Who's going to talk to the people that can't get their marriages figured out? Like, who's going to go? I'll go. Oh, I just love the world so much. I go to church every Sunday, read my Bible every day. Who do you talk to during the week? Well, you know, no, they don't know. Love your neighbor. Put your faith into action. So ask yourself this question. What's a tangible way that I can reach out this week? Commit yourself to pray and think about people. If you pray for somebody, you'll do something about it. If you think about someone, you'll do something about it and act as a disciple maker. Just look for people and, and look for any opportunity to help someone take their next step with Jesus. You guys, let me just make this as practical as possible. That, that could be just as small as just being kind to somebody who looks like they're having a bad day. A lot of people that I connect with, you know, around town or whatever, they don't, they, they don't, I don't preach a gospel message to them. I'm not telling them about Jesus. I'm just trying to be Jesus in that moment and help them take that next step. That next step might be an inch, might be a millimeter, but whatever it is. And then eventually maybe I will invite them to church or not, but, but I'm helping them take that next step. Are you with me? Love your neighbor. Number three, we need to reorganize our life around the call. Reorganize your life around the call. Reorganize your life around the call. How many of you have started diets on Monday, but they never come? <laughs> they never start, right? I'll start, I'm gonna count my calories tomorrow. How many diets are supposed to start tomorrow that never start? How many, how many marriages get counseling that never, they never do? How many people decide that they're gonna change? How many of you quit drugs or alcohol tomorrow? but it doesn't happen. Are you with me? You see, we're human beings are horrible at tomorrow, but you know what we're, what's amazing? The power of today. So if you say, okay, I want to respond to this call. I want to respond to the call of Christ. I want to be a disciple maker. Let me just tell you, if you wait till tomorrow, it won't happen. You have to start now and you have to give space in your life. And that's why we talk about reorganizing your life around the call. You have to say, this is what I'm going to do in a real way to put this message into action. So like today, 
please don't come up to me. I mean, you can if you want, but don't come up to me and say, Pastor Jake, what a great message. Thanks. That was killer. Oh yeah. Awesome. I don't, it doesn't matter if it's a great message. Are you going to change? Am I going to change? Am I going to follow Jesus? Because we're not here to hear good messages. We're here to hear a message and do it. We're not here to just be spectators and go, man, I just really got fed today. I don't care if you got fed today. I want you to do something. You will get fed when you do something. Come on. You will get fed. God's going to put his, his spiritual, uh, spiritual food and life into us as we move. But you guys hear my heart on this. We got to reorganize our life, take real steps, do what you haven't done before. What's a practical thing? Like take your next step as a disciple. Maybe that's going to joy group. Maybe that's going through next track. Take your next step. Maybe it just means being faithful to come to church more than once every six weeks, right? Maybe it just means connecting with God a little bit deeper on a daily basis. Whatever that looks like, you take your next step and then say, God, as I take my journey, I wanna take someone with me. Open my eyes to the people around me. Who's in your life? I guarantee if we thought about it for five minutes, we would, every one of us would hear a name. We'd have an impression. We'd know there's a person that we can help them take their next step. And right now there's all these lies running through your mind. Well, you, you know, they know who you're, what you're really like. They know that you've, you know, you've only been a Christian for two weeks. So they know you're who you really are. You're not good enough. Like all of those things are lies from the enemy, lies from our own, our own head that are trying to get us out of the game when the reality is that God's purpose and his kingdom has always advanced on the backs of imperfect people. Read the Bible. David was a murdering adulterer. Moses was a murdering liar, right? Peter was a lying coward, right? You with me? If you know these stories, Jonah, man, that guy had issues. Most of the, Ezekiel was probably on drugs. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you're like, what's going on here? Like you're seeing all these visions, man. You're doing, you're doing acid. Like what's going on? I'm just having fun. You know, if you're offended by that, this isn't your church. All right. So um, read the Bible and look at all these people who are imperfect and flawed and yet God used them. So guys, making disciples, it's just simply helping other people follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to take the journey and take someone with you. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you haven't started this journey with Jesus, this is your moment right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not, not in two weeks, not after you get yourself cleaned up. No, now, this is your moment to follow Jesus. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If you're here and you're like, Pastor Jake, I want in. I want to serve Jesus. I want to serve the real Jesus. Not, not some fake religious pharisaical kind of thing that I thought Christianity was like. I want the real thing. I want the authentic thing. I want to be part of his family. I want to feel the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be connected with purpose. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I want him to save me from my sins. I want Jesus to help me be okay on the inside. If you want Jesus today, would you raise your hand where I can see it? I want Christ today. Thank you. Thank you all over this place. Come on. The real Jesus, not fake not the God of televangelists, not the Jesus that you read about in little Christianese books. And I'm talking about the real Jesus. If you're here today, come on, lift up your hand. I want him. I want to know him in a real way. Come on. I want him to get into my heart. I want him to change me from the inside out. Awesome. 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 Pray this prayer with me today. Just repeat after me. Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be connected to you. I give you my life, put my trust in you today, and I receive you as my Lord and Savior.
In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's celebrate that today. Awesome.